Hi, this is Christian Kuhn. I'm the pastor of Emerging Ministries at Urban Village Church. As we are all sheltered in here in the Chicagoland area, we thought it might be kind of fun to create a podcast so that we can get to know one another at Urban Village Church a little bit better. So this is the first episode of You See Me, UVC, as we share stories and hopefully build community while we're living into these very or living in these very uncertain times. The first episode, I'm going to be interviewing and talking with a couple, Julia Jordan Lake and Shelby Husky. They both live in Oak Park and are part of the launch team for this potential fifth site that we're exploring in the near western suburbs. So I've been working with Shelby and Julia for the last several months. It's been a joy to get to know them and also fun to record this conversation with them. If you would like to be on this podcast or would like to nominate someone, let me know. Christian at urbanvillagechurch.org and uh, we'll make sure that you get on. So hope you enjoy this. Again, hope it's a way for us to build community uh, as we are continually looking at ways that we can stay connected while also uh, sheltering in place. So friends, here we go. Here's Shelby and Julia. Well, Julia and Shelby, you are the first ones to be part of this, what for now I'm calling You See Me UVC uh, podcast, where we get to know uh, people at all in the Urban Village universe. So A, w- thank you for doing this, and B, welcome to the podcast. Thank you thank for you. having us. We're excited. Yeah. Good. So uh, you are part of the potential partnership and uh, fifth site that we are exploring uh, and so, but let me ask both of you just to tell us a little bit about yourself. Shelby, you are on my left as I'm watching you on Zoom. So you're going to, I'm going to have you go first. Uh, so tell us how a girl from Pigeon Forge, Tennessee came to the Chicago area. Well, um, yes, I'm from Pigeon Forge, Tennessee. Um, and I went to college in East Tennessee, then Middle Tennessee, and then after undergrad, um, started researching graduate programs for music therapy, and I had met Julia in Tennessee. We're both from Tennessee, so met Julia. Um, was looking for grad schools. Knew Julia was going to grad school in the Chicago area. Wanted to figure out how to be there as well. So, um, luckily, I was able to find a program where I can do my work online and on campus. So um, I moved up here. And it worked out really well. So been here since August of 2019. So, yeah. Um, and I'm, that's kind of where I'm from, but that's about yeah, all. So, and you're, I'm going to ask you in a little bit about, to tell us about your, in, um, your online program is in music therapy, correct? Yes. Mental yep. health counseling and music therapy. All right. I'm going to come back to that and ask you about that in a moment. Uh, first, let's, Julia, why don't you just tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah. So I'm from Tennessee also, um, from the Nashville area. Um, I went to undergrad in the deep South in Birmingham, Alabama. Um, where did you go? I don't know if I knew that. Where did you go? I went to Samford university. Okay. Oh yeah, that's right. That's how we, cause uh, I'll share. I got to know Julia because we have Rich Havard in common. Uh, many of you listening know Rich, uh, former church planning resident at Urban Village, goes to a Wicker Park site, now heads up the Inclusive Collective. So, okay. 
Sorry to yeah. interrupt. Go ahead. Yes. So I was a psychology major there um, and um, was just super interested in pursuing that further. And so um, ended up moving up to the Chicagoland area uh, for Wheaton College um, in their doctoral program in psychology. Um, ended up kind of tying that up last spring um, and leaving the program with my master's um, and am now working as a child therapist in the area. So, uh, Julia, for now, why don't we just stay with you? Tell us a little bit about your, uh, your upbringing, both your parents. Um, I can't remember if I've heard you describe them as kind of church planters slash pastors. Uh, so you kind of grew up in that world, correct? Yes, yes, very much so. Why don't we start with you just telling us a little bit about your own faith upbringing uh, and the impact that that had on your life and then both the joys of that, but then also the challenges of growing up in a more conservative evangelical background and then what led you to go to school and then the, um, I guess, the conflict that you experienced there. Sure. Yeah. So as I shared before at River Forest, um, my uh, mom is sixth generation uh, Baptist pastors. So um, we come from a long line of um, very devout Southern Baptist ministers. Um, It's really ingrained, I think, as a part of our family's identity and um, kind of the stories that we tell about ourselves. Um, My mom and dad met in seminary and co-pastored a church um, in the greater Boston area for uh, about 10 years together. So um, that's, that's where I was born. That's kind of where my story started. Um, My mom is no longer in full-time ministry, but my dad continues to um, pursue his calling and vocation as a minister through uh, Christian higher education. So uh, moving around a bunch as a kid, uh, we were involved in lots of different Christian colleges and, conversations around faith and education, that sort of thing. Um, So I was super familiar with that world um, in my own college selection process. And um, yeah, and then, uh, you know, I I think um, coming from a long line of Baptists, we of course um, grew up uh, attending uh, Baptist churches. Um, we were Methodist for one year briefly when I was in middle school, but we went back, um, mainly just because, uh, you know, that was really where our social network was. That that's where our community was. Um, but having, you know, my mom and then my aunt as well, who both felt a calling towards ordination. Um, there were always tensions within the family as far as what it meant to be Baptist. Um, and what it meant to be a part of this legacy, but also feeling the Holy Spirit's call on, on our lives. So my uncle is a CBF pastor. So for those who are familiar with um, Baptist politics, um, it's a much more progressive uh, branch of the denomination. Um, and he was just kicked out of the uh, Georgia Baptist Association for um, allowing and performing same-sex marriages within their church. So, um, we definitely have, um, you know, a more rebellious streak as Baptists, but 
Um, I think it's, it's been a really interesting tension my whole life that, um, you know, instead of walking away from that part of our identity altogether, I think our family's sort of value system is um, that we work within that. And so uh, for myself, choosing um, to go into a graduate program that I knew was going to be more conservative, um, I think I felt like was uh, very comfortable territory as far as where I had been, where my parents and grandparents had been really their whole lives. And so I saw it as kind of a, another touching point on um, being able to have these really hard dialogues about faith and um, psychology in this instance. Uh, but very quickly, I think, came to realize that uh, the school was not super interested in dialoguing um, and that I think dogma kind of came ahead of any interest to dialogue. So, can I real quick, Juliet? Did you when you when you went for your grad studies? Were you pretty much out at that point? No, 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 no not at all. Okay. Um, so, yeah, I uh, I was in a Southern sorority in college. Um, had always identified as straight. Um, you know, very much. Um, I think kind of. Uh, that, that wasn't even a question on my radar. I don't even think I had, uh, really the set of terms or sort of the language to be able to even open up some of that self-exploration. Um, I had had friends, uh, who were gay throughout college, um, and I think really wrestled with them through some of these theological questions, but had never really held a mirror up to my own experiences, Um, And so Shelby and I met at a ministry in the Nashville area um, the summer before I moved up to the area for school um, and quickly realized that I was going to have to start wrestling with some of these questions for myself. Um, And so fall of 2018, summer, fall, um, 2018, am I getting that right? 2017, 2017, um, I really started, um, coming out to myself for the first time, um, and, uh, really kind of just diving headfirst into what these conversations were going to look like over the next couple years. Yeah. So, um, so then when you went for grad, your grad studies, then, you were interested, you said you were interested in dialogue and um, that that uh, wasn't happening. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, you know, my hope was um, to um, complete my doctorate in clinical psychology from, from this uh, Christian institution. But um, I think pretty quickly became apparent from faculty, from other students, from alumni, um, that this was not an issue, um, that was seen as more of a gray area. This, um, had been, and, um, for all intents and purposes always would be, um, a very black and white issue, um, for, for the school, um, particularly for administration. I think particular faculty were really wrestling with some of the implications of what that meant as psychologists, as um, people as maybe um, more moderate or uh, even for a few more more progressive um, thinking Christians, but 
um, there was such a culture of fear that I, I think a lot of those um, musings of the spirit were pretty quickly silenced. And so um, when I began to speak up, um, there were a handful of people in power that I think um, would have wanted to support me um, if, if they had felt like there was sort of a space for dialogue. But um, indeed, it was uh, much more top-down uh, sort of theological doctrine that was uh, being circulated um, that we physically signed on to every semester before registering for classes and that faculty had to continue to affirm that they too were upholding sort of these statements about marriage and family and that sort of thing. Yeah. So all of that then led you to shift uh, from when you, did they essentially say you, you cannot get your doctorate because um, you were unwilling to, I guess, be silent uh, or was that your own decision? Yeah, great question. So, uh, of course, I think um, the formal response from the school would be that that was my decision um, <laughs> for choosing. I'm, I'm using air quotes there, if, if you can't see me, um, for, for choosing to um, be gay and to come out into this identity and this lifestyle that um, I was making a set of choices that no longer aligned with the mission and values of the school and therefore voluntarily removing myself from the covenant um, of community. Um, you know, I, I describe it sometimes as sort of a forced resignation that, um, you know, um, it ended up, uh, sort of going all the way up to the Dean of our graduate program. Um, student life was having meetings. Um, there were lots of kind of backdoor conversations about my situation. And, um, I was, pretty explicitly told that I would need to wait to pursue a relationship until I was no longer affiliated with the school. Um, sometimes more implicitly, sometimes more explicitly. Um, I had a faculty member pull me aside into a classroom one day. <laughs> I was just walking down the hallway and um, this person said, you know, in um, pretty explicit terms, like, you know, we've been talking about this and um, you'll be okay as long as you aren't saying anything on social media or, um, you know, going out in the community where people could see you and take a picture or screenshot something you've said and sent it in. Um, because if that does happen, it is out of our hands. I think um, there was a sense of wanting to protect me as a student. And as a part of this two-year-long um, community I had built, um, but at the end of the day, I think, um, you know, as so often happens in systems where oppression is occurring, I think everyone kind of points to the, to the guy on their right and says like, no, this is their responsibility and only this person can stop it. So it kind of just turned into a giant circle of people <laughs> pointing at each other. Um, and so ultimately, um, you know, I, I realized that I would not be able to be in an open relationship um, and continue to stay at a place where, um, you know, the, the culture was pretty hostile. Um, and uh, based on, um, you know, alumni's reports and some faculty that had been there a while, you know, no student had ever been in an openly same-sex relationship um, in, in the history of their graduate programs, um, to their knowledge. So uh, it really felt like uncharted territory at a time where 
I was also kind of um, coming awake to a lot of these issues. So, yeah. Okay. I'm going to pause that. I'm going to shift over to you, Shelby. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your own faith upbringing? Yeah. So I was also raised in the church as well in a very, um, I think our church was Southern Baptist Conference um, and in a very small town. So Pigeon Forge, Tennessee, super small town, one of the biggest churches in Pigeon Forge. So everyone knew my family and um, everyone knows everyone. So my dad was in ministry for about 15 years and he was our youth pastor at our church. So I kind of grew up as a kid, like witnessing that and being a part of that ministry. And I really only ever have fond memories of that and, um, you know, being in that church as a kid and not really knowing all of the politics and what's actually happening. Um, And then my mom was also the children's minister of this church for the entirety that we were there. Um, So my whole family went to that church. Um, My whole family uh, lives on the same street, like that still to this day. It's a very knit tight community. So um, we ended up leaving that church when I was a sophomore in high school um, for just some pretty sad reasons. I think there's just a lot of um, division in our church. And my dad just stood in front of the congregation one day and said, "Um, I feel like the life is being sucked out of me. And that's not what this is supposed to be about. And we left and it was really sad because I built my whole life there as a kid. Um, I was leaving friends and family and everything. So it was, I mean, my entire high school career, basically I had no church. I was just kind of going to youth groups with friends and um, I was involved in young life. Um, so just things like that. And my, my family um, continued to be um, involved in their faith and that never wavered. For them, which was really, I think, beautiful to witness as a kid. Um, but again, never really having to face any hard issues when you grow up in a small mm-hmm. town and you also identify as straight and, um, you know, you only know what you know and you just live your life. So then it was, um, I think throughout college, I was involved in a lot of college ministries and again, never really had to like talk about these issues and just I came. I come from an environment too where, um, if if you're not experiencing it or you're so detached from it, no one's really going to talk about it. No one's going to question it. No one's going to talk about mm-hmm. it. So um, that was kind of my experience with that. Um, and I never really asked questions. I just believed everything I was ever told because I trusted everyone in my life that was mm-hmm. telling me everything about my faith. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it was. Um, throughout, throughout, um, the organization we worked for together and, um, just learning a lot more about what it means to be, um, a person of faith and show up for people, um, especially from a social justice standpoint and how my whole life, I never knew that could be a part of my faith. Um, I think too, like growing up and being a Southern woman in the church, you are told like, this is your place and this Mm. is what you do. So, Um, just kind of shaped a lot getting to know Julia and this organization we worked for. Um, And then, of course, getting to know Julia and realizing that I have feelings for her and thinking, oh, like, this is not a friendship. So that was a whirlwind for me because I felt like I had no one 
but Julia to communicate that to, because mm-hmm. that had never been an issue. That had never been a conversation. Um, so that's when everything just started to shift. And I really started to think like, okay, God, like, who really are you to me? Because it's time for me to like decide my faith for my own and like claim it for myself because my whole life I've just kind of um, mm-hmm. followed along and never really, you know, mm-hmm. I've always just had the privilege of like, oh, I'm fine. My life is good. I go to church. Everything's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was just really crazy for me. And I think for my friends that are also Christians um, who have um, for the most part, like incredibly loving. And then for my family, that's had a very difficult time and continues to. So, um, but I will say like through all of this, um, my faith amazingly, like just, I feel like God has never, never been out of the equation for me. It's Mm -hmm. it's just made me, you know, draw nearer and ask more questions Mm -hmm. and feel so loved and held and kept by God. So it's just Mm -hmm. interesting um, that even though my whole life I was getting my faith and like what I thought was like good nourishment from people Mm. that like the one time when, you know, most of those people are saying, putting hands up and walking away. It's like, and I really, it was just me and God and conversations with Julia and um, a lot has been, a lot more has been revealed to me than when my faith was kind of being shaped for me. So it's really yeah. interesting to think about it like that. I was going to ask, and it sounds, it sounds like, I was going to ask you to describe your faith today. And it sounds like I really love the way that you have described that as a faith that others put on you growing up. And now it's a faith that you claim for yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I had heard that too growing up. Like when you're older, you're going to have to decide what your faith means to you. And I always thought, okay, like, yeah, whatever that means. <laughs> and then like, oh, it's actually, you know, the people that were maybe telling me that or warning me of that were the ones that, um, you know, couldn't handle both of these things about me. So mm. my faith and my sexuality. So that was interesting. Mm-hmm. But yeah. Julia, how would you describe your faith now? Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I think Shelby and I, reflect often that it really is incredible that I think um, God has only felt nearer to us. Um, The longer we've been dating, the longer we've um, been having these really difficult conversations because um, I know for so many people that is not the experience. And I want to acknowledge that, that that is okay. Um, Mm -hmm. And I don't think that, that there's sort of a right or wrong way to, wrestle with God. Um, but we have been so blessed. I think, uh, that's really the one thing I feel like that hasn't wavered, um, in the past couple of years for me is, is, um, you know, the central tenets of my faith. Uh, you know, it's, it's not even a question in the back of my mind. If anything, I think it's, it's only, built up stronger and stronger. Um, you know, I remember, um, someone asking me, um, in, in one of the many coming, coming out conversations, if I still believed in the doctrine of the Trinity, um, (laughs) after, after coming out to them. And I I thought it was such an, an interesting question because sure. I think for a lot of the people that Shelby and I were raised with that, if you, 
are thinking about faith kind of like a Jenga tower and you pull out this one base piece of sexuality, then of course the whole thing comes crumbling down. And, you know, do you still believe in, you know, the body and blood of Christ? Do you still believe missions are important? All these different questions. And I think for me, you know, I had never seen all of that sort of hinging theologically on the Trinity or, um, you know, uh, tithing or communion or these other principles that I was raised with. Um, I think, you know, honestly, the, the biggest piece for us is a lot of our close friends and even some family members really wrestling with their own faith because of our story, Mm. um, which, um, you know, I think, um, for me personally, that, that has been really hard, um, not to carry that because I feel a lot of responsibility, um, you know, for, for other people's relationships, um, with one another and also with the triune, might I add God. And so, you know, I think, um, that's kind of, um, the season I'm in now, as far as my faith is, um, now that I've sort of gone through, um, a year of, of healing and processing everything that has happened, um, kind of having my academic and career plans turned upside down, I think, um, you know, I'm, I'm trying to figure out how do I steward my story well. Um, so it continues to encourage, um, those around me, but also maybe those that, um, have similar questions that I was Googling at, 2 a.m. and searching the public library shelves for. Um, I think so much of um, what I discovered was um, there are so many wonderful gay male writers out there, um, and that's incredible. But I remember, um, you know, just looking and looking for the experiences of women and Southern women, and, you know, suddenly the (laughs) reading list becomes smaller and smaller, Um, so my hope is, you know, in the midst of, um, still working as a therapist full time that I'm able to start stepping into some of that Mm -hmm. and, um, creating, creating resources for, for people, um, that, uh, continue to, uh, seek out, uh, some of these really big and tough questions, um, that we certainly don't have all the answers to, but, um, at least can provide more questions for. Yeah. I love that phrase that you used. How how do I steward my story well? And so mm-hmm. it's uh, it's a great question for all of us to reflect on. So Shelby, tell us uh, a well. I have three questions. One: Have you ever met Dolly Parton? <laughs> oh yes, I have. But have it, you? It wasn't for anything I did. It was because my sister won a scholarship that Dolly gives out to our high school. So I just met her because our family got to take a picture with her. Okay. So I touched her back and we took a photo together. <laughs> so we stood there together and I, you know how you just, you pose with people. So I touched Dolly Parton's back. There we go. All right. That counts. And then, so, and then what, tell us both what is a musical therapist and what is um, uh, drawing you to that profession? Yeah. So um, there's a lot of different definitions that music therapists like to use, but um and it just really depends on your stance and how you look at the practice. But really, music therapy is um, an evidence-based practice used to combine um, music and any kind of um, therapy or counseling that's needed for the client. So music therapy is for anyone and everyone and um, any population that would 
get any kind of therapy that you can think of. So mental health counseling, occupational therapy, speech therapy, physical therapy. Um, All of those people that see those therapists can see a music therapist as well. Um, Mm -hmm. So music therapists use science, they use movement, they use obviously music um, to work with an assortment of things. So um, mental health, um, autism, spectrum disorders, um, like I said, people that need physical therapy, great for speech therapy as well. Um, So I always try to just for now, because I'm in school, say, think of it as therapy in any capacity that you can think of, but we use music as an intervention for everything we do. And we try to incorporate other forms of therapy as well. So love music therapy, but I didn't always know it was a thing. Um, So my whole life I played music and pursued very different paths for music. So initially, of course, I wanted to be a recording artist because who doesn't? Um, so I wanted to be famous. You touched Dolly Parts back after all. So. Right, right, right. So um, yeah, I wanted to do music full time. I wanted to be a musician. And then I thought, no, I want to teach music. So I went the music education route and then um, quickly realized I didn't, did not like that because Being, I commend music education majors because it's like being an education major and a music major. Mm. It's like double majoring and it's insanely hard. So didn't (laughs) want to do that. Um, And then my whole life, it was like, how do I use music? But how do I work with kids? And how do I help Mm -hmm. people? Um, And it wasn't until like halfway through undergrad that I realized music therapy was a thing and a practice and a profession. So um, I got really just obsessed with it and just we just spent so much time just learning about it. And um, it was, it is so much more than I thought it was initially. So um, just started researching grad schools on my own. Um, and I was able to find a great school that allows you to um, apply there, even if you had a different degree in undergrad than music therapy. So anything music related or um, psychology heavy, you, you could definitely go there and succeed. So um, I've been really, really grateful to this school and this program. So studying music therapy. That's great. <laughs> Julia, what, what led you to think, to focus on children when you're, um, exploring and kind of considering therapy? Yeah. So I, um, I've always loved kids. I think, you know, being a camp counselor in the summer camp world, <clears throat> um, for, you know, all, all the years throughout undergrad, um, I think really, um, uh, allowed me to tap into, um, my passion of, um, you know, getting to be around, um, some of the most vulnerable people in our society. Um, some of the most, I think, Um, overlooked oftentimes when we think about mental health or um, trauma, family traumas. Um, I think just, just informally experiencing that every summer as I was doing my psychology coursework during the year uh, just became more and more evident uh, at least in my own calling and vocation that I felt like the world didn't need another um, adult therapist uh, and um, just just really felt uh, a stirring to um, do whatever I could to uh, learn and educate myself um, to be the 
the best child therapist possible. So um, I think, you know, uh, when we, when we think about our own families and our own childhoods, I think about, you know, my, my grandparents and my great grandparents who, um, you know, on, on different sides were immigrants and um, experienced all different forms of um, abuse and um, divorce and loss and addiction and um, how that impacted them as children. But of course, um, you know, for, for the greater part of the 20th century, there just was not language around that for kids. And, um, you know, I, I, I think they, they turned out marvelously, but, um, you know, how, how cool would it have been if they were able to, um, partner with a therapist who was able to be there for them in the midst of, of, uh, some of those really difficult parts of life as a kiddo. And so, um, you know, it's, it's super different than, than talk therapy. I think people often think about their own experiences with counseling or therapy as an adult. Um, but just being able to, um, be on the floor most of the time and, mm. and be with, um, some of these kiddos and by extension, um, get to enter into their families, their homes, their communities, um, and kind of see who they'll be 10, 20 years from now, um, and hopefully make their childhood a little bit easier. I think, um, it's just the coolest job in the world. So. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah. All right. I'm going to ask now we're going to learn a little bit more about you both, but I'm going to ask you some rapid fire questions here. And so I want you to not, uh, they're all fun questions. And so you have quick answers. Don't think about them too much. All right. You ready? What is, what's one misconception people have about Tennessee? Oh, that we're all just dumb rednecks. Yeah. Everyone lives in a trailer (laughs) park. No one wears shoes. Mm-hmm. People don't oh, wash their hands. Oh, and that we all know and are related to Dolly Parton. Well, that's, that's <laughs> I'm guilty. I am guilty of furthering that stereotype. But I know be, Pigeon Forge, though, you have to ask that if we're for oh, Pigeon yeah. Forge. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what's one thing that you've loved about the Chicago area since you've lived here? Food. Yeah. Food. Public transit. Public transit. Museums. Oh, yeah. yeah, free museums. Give us a, a speci- give us a specific. Like once one thing. Oh, I loved eating or going or yeah. doing this. Oh, um, specific, specific. Um, I, I love the field museum and I feel like before all of the craziness of coronavirus hit, um, getting to, uh, check out all sorts of different free museums. The shed aquarium is awesome. Um, I think I love living in a walkable city and place. Mm -hmm. It's good. Not used to that. So. What's a book that you've read recently that you're just dying to recommend to someone? Um, I'm reading The Body Keeps the Score right now, and it's on the brain, the brain, mind, and body in the healing of trauma. And it's really awesome. Um, it's by a psychiatrist who um, has worked with um, lots of veterans. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm not, I'm not finished yet, but it's amazing. I can't stop talking about it. Okay. Uh, I just started reading Little Fires Everywhere. <laughs> um, so if you're into those kind of books, but I also just academically nerding out, read a book called An Unquiet Mind, also by a psychiatrist who lives with um, manic depressive disorder and is a um, psychiatrist at John Hopkins Hospital. So very interesting memoir. All right. What's a, um, I'm going to use the phrase guilty pleasure, but you may not, can, you may not, <laughs> 
uh, be uh, ashamed of this, but what's a TV show that you watch that some would consider a guilty pleasure? The Bachelor. Any reality TV, but The Bachelor. <laughs> I love reality TV. <laughs> <laughs> okay. The Bachelor. Yeah. What's a food that you could eat anytime, anywhere? Anything chocolate for me. I think any curry of any, okay. any curry ever. I remember this kind of conversation I have because Shelby, you're not a big chocolate fan. Is that right? Am I remembering that correctly? I like chocolate. I love, I mean, it's great, but I don't, I'm okay if I don't have it. You don't love it as much. as <laughs> I'm not okay if I don't have it. Right. I like it. It's good. All right. <laughs> Who would you want to play you in a Netflix TV show? Um, is that Soren who's who people have been saying looks like you from Little Women? Oh, I don't know how to say her name. She's Irish. Um, Sorye. I'm not. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know who you mean. My family thinks we look uh, we look alike, and I like her, so her. Mm. Little she Women. She was in, in Lady Bird. Was she in the movie Lady Bird? Yes. Got I don't it. know how to say her name, but she's great. I would say either Julia Roberts or. Uh, the actress's name, whom I also don't know, who plays Susan in the Chronicles of Narnia. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I never knew you cared about that person. <laughs> so important questions. They are important questions. All right. That's all I have for those. Um, all right. So I think that's all the questions I have. So currently you are, um, I've been working with you. Uh, it's been a joy to work with you as we consider this and hopefully launch this potentially urban village site. You're both, um, uh, I'm blanking on uh, Julia. You're living in Oak Park, and Shelby. Are you in Forest Park? Is that right? I'm in Oak Park too. You're also in Oak Park. Okay, all right. So you're both uh, in that area. Good. So, anything else you want to share about yourselves that the world should know? Mm, we have nothing but time right now. So, <laughs> when you hear this, feel free to reach out to us. They are yeah. both. I will say they are both great follows on Instagram. So. Uh, <laughs> They have really introduced me to the whole story segment of Instagram. So I. <laughs> oh boy. They yeah. Make, they make the quarantine to... more fun. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We'd love to chat six feet apart. Mm-hmm. All yeah. right. Good. Well, um, Shelby and Julia, thank you so much for being on this episode of this first uh, episode or epi- series of UC Me UBC. Thank Thank you. you. We look forward to hearing more. Thanks for listening again, everyone. Again, if you would like to be on this podcast or want to suggest someone, please reach out to me one more time, Christian at urbanvillagechurch.org and go to the Urban Village Facebook page for updates of all the things that are going on as we try to hold things together and be present for one another. And then also urbanvillagechurch.org slash community to find out all the updates there too. So friends, until the next time that we're all together, may the peace of Christ be with you.